fox and a leopard, resting lazily after a generous dinner, amused themselves by disputing about their good looks. The leopard was very proud of his glossy, spotted coat, and made disdainful remarks about the fox, whose appearance he declared was quite ordinary. The fox prided himself on his fine, bushy tail, with its tip of white, but he was wise enough to see that he could not rival the leopard in looks. Still, he kept up a flow of sarcastic talk, just to exercise his wits, and to have the fun of disputing. The leopard was about to lose his temper when the fox got up, yawning lazily. <sighs> "'You may have a very smart coat,' he said, "'but you would be a great deal better off if you had a little more smartness inside your head, and less on your ribs, the way I am. That's what I call real beauty.'" The moral of the story is, a fine coat is not always an indication of an attractive mind. Well, hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet one animal at a time. My name is Paul, and I am not an animal expert. I'm Donna, and I am also not an animal expert. Today, we are talking about Raw the Leopard. <laughs> and I have been calling them Leopards for two weeks. Leopards! <laughs> Leopards. I have two little mini panthers in my house right now. You should take pictures of them. We'll put them in the show notes. Your yeah. little mini panthers. Yes, they're my tiny panthers. <laughs> when they were kittens, we used to sing that Elton John song to them, Tiny Dancer, but with <laughs> Tiny Panther instead. Oh, nice. Yeah. They didn't find it funny because cats don't understand humor. <laughs> why, are those, why are those big pink monkeys... Making those noises. What is that noise? <laughs> Put food down for us right now. <laughs> food, giant pink monkey. All right, here's some news. This is Varmin's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. Donna, for Pete's sake, do you want some good news for a change? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, well, I have three stories here that I will pass along to you, and this is these are all very, very good news. The world's largest animal, the blue whale, as well as the humpback and right whales, have been spotted in unprecedented numbers in the waters around Antarctica. Hooray! Yay! A team of researchers led by the British Antarctic Survey made 36 sightings of blue whales during their three-week survey earlier this year, identifying 55 animals compared to just one sighting made during the 2018 survey. Wow. Yeah. Uh, the whales are still in trouble, but it's, it's pretty good news. Yeah. The South Georgia Right Whale Project website has a whale tracker, so a few of these whales have been tagged, and you can follow them around in real time as they swim around their feeding grounds. It's really, really cool. That's awesome. All right, good news number two. Okay. Three colonies of bees that survived the devastating fire of the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris 
are thriving, according to their keeper. Wahoo. Yeah. The population, uh, which is thought to number between 30 and 45,000 bees across three hives, have been living in the rafters of the cathedral since 2013, and they survived the fire in April 2019. The keeper couldn't really get to the hives very well in the latter part of 2019 because access to the damaged building was restricted, but she has since been able to check on the bees, and she has confirmed that they are doing well, and they are preparing to produce honey this summer. Yay! The French bees. <laughs> Ooh la la. Yeah. All right, our third little bit of good news mm -hmm. is in Colorado, where you are. Wow, what's that? The gray wolf may return to Colorado if a ballot measure to reintroduce the predators passes this year. There is a bill proposing the return of the gray wolf. Uh, it's scheduled to be put to voters in November. Mm-hmm. Polling indicates that it's probably going to pass. I think it probably will, and I think, <laughs> I mean, I think they're already here. That's one of the things that I remembered. I'd have to check, but I think we've already got some, so it's sort of, um, you know, it's funny sort of humans going, okay, we're going to have wolves, and the wolves are like, whatever, we do what we want. <laughs> like, they're already here. So. Oh, you mean like us? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I could be wrong, I, but I, I do think we actually have, like, one small pack of wolves uh, very top of the state or, or somewhere. Somewhere. I don't know. I could be wrong, but yeah. Yeah. Whatever. We're tracking it. And people people are for it. I mean, there are a few people that are not for it, but cost of doing business, man. Sometimes, yep. sometimes wolfies will try to eat your livestock if there's not enough deer around, but we have plenty of deer, so... Yeah. That <laughs> Plenty will... of deer and elk. It'd be good. It'd be fun. Back in 1995, they they released wolves into, I want to say, Yellowstone mm -hmm. Park or Ye mm -hmm. Yosemite? No, One Yellowstone. I don't know about was Yosemite. They might do it there too, but uh, definitely Yellowstone. I think it was Yellowstone, and it just changed everything. It changed uh, the behaviors of other animals. It enabled trees to grow where there weren't trees. It enabled birds and insects to return. We talked about Just... some of that soil composition improvement on our moose episode because yes. of the connection between moose and wolf um, predation. The wolf predation on the moose actually changes the environment. It changes all the plants and the soil and everything. So, Yeah, yeah. to the point where rivers were rerouted yeah. and changed. Mm -hmm. Just crazy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there you go. Yeah, it's Three exciting. bits of good news. Yeah, I hope we do. I think we already have some here by accident, you know, because some wolves just walked into the state. They <laughs> just wandered in. <laughs> I think. I'd, I'd have to look it up. but And I will. When we're done recording, I'll look it up, and maybe I'll, I'll put it in a little note later after the episode airs because uh, I j didn't know you were going to talk about this. Because we don't yeah. share notes. I don't know if you saw the story that Paul did on Facebook about the creation of the Varmint's Podcast Sausage, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we don't share notes. So If you go to our Instagram, I saved it as, uh, well, if it's a story, it's saved for 24 hours, but right. then you can take all of that information and put it in, what's it called? Highlights. So mm -hmm. if you go to the Highlights uh, Instagram Varmint's Podcast or at Varmint's Podcast, uh, you can see those highlights and you can see exactly how we make the show. Yeah, 
And so we don't share notes, so I didn't know you were going to talk about that, which is why I am not prepared to tell you the fact of the matter, but I, I, I remember reading something about it. So I will look it up. Cool. Woo. I th <laughs> I'm really glad it wasn't any of the... Uh, the fake news ones that have been coming out, like dolphins in Venice and stuff. Like, okay, guys, there are no dolphins swimming around Venice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's not happening. <laughs> or alligators. Yeah, or alligators. But I thought that one was a pretty... That was pretty obviously a fake, but the, the dolphins ones were pretty popular for a while, and everybody was going, yay, the dolphins are back in Venice. Okay. I don't think they are, but uh, <laughs> I don't even know if they ever were. But I suppose you could find that out too. But yeah, our our sharp-eyed Varminians in the in the Facebook discussion group were they were right on it. They jumped right on it. They said Photoshop, Photoshop. and they were right. Photoshop. Yep. <laughs> the alligator one. Me and one of the Varminians were sitting there going, "Well, you can tell because of the pixelation of the something or other and the profit." <laughs> graphic designer talk it was boring for everybody but us i'm sure uh, it was great yeah there you go but anyway <laughs> wow we have really talked for a while hey just a reminder everybody go back to varmints to dot uh, podbean.com for links to our audio and our show notes for today's episode we are also on twitter and instagram at Varmint's Podcast, all one word, and at varmintspodcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. We run a Pinterest board, and one of our Varminians manages it for us, and it's awesome. Go over there and put Varmint's Podcast in, and you'll see our, our Pinterest stuff. And then we have our stuff, our merchandise is at Redbubble. Put Varmint's in the search engine there, and you'll find Varmint's logo on all the things. If you like the show, why not tell a friend about us and introduce them to the podcast? We're everywhere. The podcasts are found, and word of mouth is the very best way to help us grow. So, let's learn about Leopards. <laughs> hey! Let's go get educated on some animals. I know you wanna. <laughs> So we are talking about leopards today. The leopard is an old world mammal of the Felidae family and one of the four big cats in the Panthera genus, along with the tiger and the lion, which we did episodes about, and the jaguar. Yeah. The leopard is the smallest of the big cats. Males can grow to weigh 91 kilograms or 200 pounds, and the females can weigh 60 kilograms or 132 pounds. However, in parts of their range where there are no lions or tigers, Leopards might grow a little bit larger than that. Yeah. There are a few subspecies of leopard. The African, which is the most widespread. The Indian, Javan, Arabian, Persian or Antolian, Amur, Indochinese, and Sri Lankan leopards. Whole bunch. Leopards. Leopards. Snow leopards, not leopards. Nope. And not considered one of the big cats. They are genetically more related to tigers than any other big cat. And we're going to have a different separate show on them. And we're going to have a whole separate show about them. Yeah. Uh, same goes for clouded leopards, not leopards. Leopards in name only. Yep. Male leopards are just called leopards. Female leopards are called leopardesses. And their babies are called cubs. Yep. 
Originally, it was thought that a leopard was a hybrid between a lion and a panther, and the leopard's common name derives from this belief. So Leo is the Greek and Latin word for lion, and pard is an old term that means panther. And I just want to talk about the term panther for a minute. Mm -hmm. The term panther is used for several species of large cat. There's no one cat that's called a panther. So in North America, a panther means a cougar so we have like a florida panther here in florida yep but it's a cougar uh you might remember i don't know if you read the little house on the prairie books when you were a kid maybe it was mostly girls but there's no reason that boys shouldn't have read them they were perfectly great books guess Um, what did you read them i did read them do you remember that they had a panther in wisconsin the black panther in wisconsin that was menacing their house (laughs) oh i think yes i do wow yeah and eating their livestock and stuff and pa had to go out and kill it so yeah that would have been a cougar a black cougar right that was fascinating to me as a child and that's how i learned that that panthers were the fact that you're talking about that's how i learned it because of exposure to those books Okay. Yeah, because I looked it up in the library afterward. And so in South America, a panther can be called, it can be a jaguar, like a jaguar can be called a panther. Uh, Elsewhere in the world, a panther can uh, be referred to a leopard. So there's just, I mean, there's no one cat that's called a, a panther is the point. Yep. The collective noun for panther, or panthers, <laughs> see, I'm messing it up. The collective noun for leopards is a leap, a leap of leopards, which I really like. I like that. (laughs) There's not really a group of leopards, though. No, they're pretty solitary. And lately we've been like changing the collective nouns for animals to make them sound better. But leap of leopards is pretty good. I don't think we have to mess with that one. All right. Well, one of the best things about leopards is their spots. thought I would talk a little bit about what the science behind leopard spots is. Sure. So leopard kittens, um, first of all, lots of big cats are born with some spots on them, and then they lose them as they grow into an adult. Um, but leopard kittens, they their baby spots change into the big rosette markings. And scientists are pretty sure they've uncovered the mechanism that causes that to happen. So biologists have wondered for a long time how leopards and mammals acquired their distinct coat patterns. And in 1952, a British mathematician, Alan Turing, which might be a familiar name to you, developed an equation to explain how simple chemical reactions produce spots, stripes, and swirls that decorate a lot of different mammals. But his model couldn't account for the evolution of the markings from the babyhood to the adult. And so to uncover that particular process, I'm going to try so hard to pronounce these names (laughs) correctly. (laughs) Please pardon me if I don't because I wasn't able to figure it out with confidence beforehand because they're Chinese names. So Sai Sang Lu, which I think is L. I-A-W, I think that's Lu, but it might be Law. And Rui Tarng Liu, oh my gosh, of the National Chung Sing University in Taichung, Taiwan, and Philip Maini of Oxford University's Mathematical Institute all modified Alan Turing's model. So 
They basically looked at the development of one pattern to another, the same way that Torin envisioned, and then, uh, so what, what they assumed, like him, is that when a leopard or a jaguar is born, its skin contains pigment cells, which secrete two chemicals into the skin's upper layer. And these chemicals are called morphogens, and they're thought to diffuse out from the pigment cells and interact to produce either black-brown color or a pale yellow-red color. And then with a complex computer model, they created a two-stage process, each stage having different governing rules so they could record them. In order to account for an animal's growth, the second stage included parameters such as the rate of diffusion of the little morphogen and a scaling factor, which changed during the computer simulation. And one scientist, Dr. Maney, said, how chemicals diffuse is a really difficult question in biology because the material through which the chemicals are transported, such as cells and tissues, is highly non-uniform. So it's kind of difficult to quantify mathematically. Hmm. They found that the con concentration of these diffusing chemicals in the skin determines the exact markings on the adult leopard or jaguar. So the morphogens, one scientist said, would be proposed to be in the skin and the pattern in the hair of the fur or the fur would be determined by the concentration of the morphogens in the skin. Okay? Is that clear enough? Mm-hmm. So, sure, clear enough. <laughs> <laughs> so they have yet to detect these morphogens within the animal's skin, so they're just doing math to try to understand how it's happening. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> wow. So the next step in understanding a leopard's spots will be to pinpoint the color-coding chemicals. And uh, they haven't done it yet. But they're on the way. <laughs> huh. That's very cool. So how do the little spots become the big rosettes is what they're saying. They huh. don't understand the chemical me mechanism behind it. They just don't. They That's don't, amazing. Yeah. They don't understand it. But they're doing research on it, so hopefully they'll identify the chemical uh, exactly the way that the chemicals are working, and they'll figure it out. So. Hmm. Updates in the future if they do. Yeah. And, and I mean, what we don't know about animals is way more than what we do know about animals. Yeah. I always think it's fun when, when we report like, um, here's what we don't know <laughs> and what they're trying <laughs> to find out. Cause that's always, you know, we can always come back to it later if somebody figures it out. So, but that's pretty interesting. And for those of you that are extremely mathematical, go take a look at that and see what you think of it. Look at the model, see what you think. I, you could do all sorts of math in front of me, and I would go, that's amazing. What does it mean? Yes, <laughs> I like math, but I'm not good at it, so. Oh, same here. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I was better at it, because I really enjoy it when I can do it. I, I sometimes will sit down and just do some math, because I think it's fun. But, uh, but I don't, I'm not good at it, and I can't do higher math very well, so. Yep. Yep. <laughs> all right i wanted to talk about the big thing that sets leopards apart from the other big cats and that is their strength and their relationship to trees trees leopards are not fast like cheetahs so they have to ambush their prey leopards eat on average about a third of the carcass of the animal they kill and this works out at roughly 400 kilograms or nearly 900 pounds of meat per leopard each year 
Yeah. And this means that leopards probably need just over a kilogram or, or about two pounds of meat every single day to survive. Right. There's a lot of leftover meat. Uh, they can't eat it all at once. There's plenty of animals that want to get at that meat, like hyenas and wild dogs and other big cats. Lions and stuff, yeah. And lions, yeah. So leopards are capable of carrying these animals way heavier than themselves, like antelopes and, and animals like that. And they will often drag their prey into the fork of a tree several meters off the ground. It is amazing to watch. It's called lartering. And so what lartering is, is a protection. Uh, it protects the carcass against scavengers. And it allows for a few days of undisturbed feeding because yeah. that meat can be up there for a while. Uh, leopard can eat on it. It's not going to bother it. Right. I watched a documentary about leopards, a nature documentary about them. Mm -hmm. And one of them was pulling a zebra carcass up the tree. This Gosh. was about a year old cub, two, maybe two year old cub. Fully grown, but not quite an adult. And he was, he got himself a zebra and he was pulling it up the tree. It's amazing to watch. <laughs> it's just ridiculous how big the animals they, they drag up trees are. They're so strong. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Leopards also climb up trees to escape attacks from lions because lions will kill them. Uh, lions will also steal their prey. Yep. And they just kind of hang out and rest in trees too. Sometimes leopards up in trees will land on a gazelle or an impala or whatever has wandered underneath the tree that they happen to be in because they don't see the, the leopard. They don't hear the leopard. They go under the tree, doop, 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 eat. And then that I've seen videos of leopards just pouncing down on animals that happen yep. to be from under the, the trees. trees. Amazing. Surprise. <laughs> a leopard has the ideal physiology for tree climbing. They are a lot lighter than a lion. They are very, very powerfully built in their shoulders and forelimbs. They can pull themselves up really, really steep tree trunks with their claws. It helps that they can leap in the air about 25 feet or about, what is that, like four? Wait a minute. I have to do math. Is that eight meters? No, it's about eight meters. I don't know. I don't know how to do the conversion. I don't, I don't know space points. One meter is three feet. So it's eight meters. Oh, my goodness. Crazy. Crazy. That's a lot. Their front limbs are free from a, from attachment to their collarbone. They're right. joined only by ligament and, and muscle. So they have a lot more uh, mobility. Their backbone allows them to twist and turn and balance themselves. They can twist up to 180 degrees relative to the other half of their body. Man, that is crazy. <laughs> yes. Their tails are really long, really thick. I think they're I think their tails are longer than their bodies. Crazy. And that helps them to climb, it helps them to keep their balance while they're, while they're climbing. And so yeah, their leopards are the most successful tree climber of all the predators in the region and they are amazing. Yeah. Just amazing. Yeah, they're neat. Leopards are cool. <laughs> So according to the IUCN, African leopards are listed as vulnerable. Sri Lankan and Persian leopards are listed as endangered. Amur, Arabian, and Javan leopards are critically endangered. And among all the leopards, across all the leopards, uh, the population numbers are kind of trending downwards. So I'll talk a little bit about the reasons why that is in a few minutes. 
In the meantime, we think that supporting your local AZA accredited zoo or aquarium is one of the best ways that you can help leopards and lots of other animals too. As of 2019, it was estimated that there were 90 Amur leopards in the wild, which oh, is not that many. Crazy. Yeah, it's sad. And so a lot of zoos are taking in Amur leopards to try to build their numbers up and try to, to save them from extinction. Right. So all the zoos we're going to mention have Amur leopards in them. The San Diego Zoo has leopards named Satka and Oscar, and they had just had cubs in 2018, which is good news. Aww. The Maryland Zoo has a beautiful leopard called Sophia. The Santa Barbara Zoo in California, the Minnesota Zoo, and the Bronx Zoo all have Amur leopards, too. At the time of this recording, nobody is able to visit any zoo anywhere unless they work at the zoo. Hopefully you'll get to do that in person very soon. Check your Facebook. A lot of zoos are going on Facebook, and they are live streaming uh, video from their enclosures. They're doing little presentations and, and shows. They're letting the animals kind of walk around uh, other exhibits or outside other exhibits. So, like, there's been a couple of zoos that had their penguins just kind of walk around the zoo and look at other animals. It's really cool. So hopefully you get to go back to the zoos pretty soon. Yes. And, you know, throw them a couple of bucks if you can afford it. Yeah, definitely. Because they're not getting that visitor income right now, and that's pretty important. So. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to talk about leopards and pop culture and a couple other things. But we're going to do that right after I tell you about our Patreon. Patreon helps us run this podcast. It's so cool. We do appreciate all of you that support our Patreon. I'm not going to ask you to support our Patreon right at the moment because it's a weird time to ask you for money. But we're just going to thank the people that already are yep. supporting our Patreon. We think that's really cool. We're trying uh, to use our Patreon money to help animal charities. And right now especially, that's really helpful. So anything you've been able to give us... I just wanted to mention thank you for that because yeah we're are the people that we give it to i'm sure are intensely grateful so absolutely we're trying to do good with the patreon money yep. if you want to support our patreon it's at patreon.com slash varmints uh if you can't that's fine too you're always yep. going to get this stuff for free so thank yep. you for your support we really 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 do appreciate it yeah absolutely the only thing we do with patreon is uh, a little bit of early releases and stuff sometimes but there's never any content that you're not going to be able to access. Exactly. All right. Woohoo! Hey there, everyone. Paul and Don are a couple of nerds just like you. And they don't get to see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk about where we all see them most of the time. On movies, TV, comic books, toys, and video games. I am going to talk about Big Cat Diary. It was also known as Big Cat Week or Big Cat Live. It was a long-running nature documentary series on BBC television, which followed the lives of African big cats. Hmm. The first series was broadcast on BBC One in 1996. Ooh. The American cable TV channel Animal Planet was originally a joint venture with BBC Worldwide. Oh, I didn't know that. So in 1999... American viewers were introduced to the original presenters, Jonathan Scott and Simon King. They were later joined by Saba Douglas Hamilton in 2002, Kate Silverton and Jackson Lucia. They were added to the presenting team for Big Cat Live. 
the BBC Natural History Unit filmed the series in Kenya's Maasai Mara. They originally wanted to film in the Serengeti National Park in Tanzania, but that was too expensive. Well, okay. Yep. So they went where it was a little bit cheaper to film. Filming was timed to coincide with the arrival of the annual wildebeest migration in the Mara. Yeah. Well, the Maasai Mara is beautiful anyway, so. Oh, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Each episode followed the daily lives of a lion pride, a cheetah family, and a leopard family. The crew, which can number up to 60 people, used specially modified four-wheel drive vehicles to travel around the Mara, tracking, spotting, and filming the cats. You know what? I think I remember this, actually, now. It, it was such a good show. Now that show. you're talking about it, I think I remember it. We didn't... and I didn't always have cable in the 90s. I couldn't always afford it. But, uh, but I think... I think I remember it from the times when we could, so. Yeah. Wow. It was it was my one of my favorite shows on Animal Planet. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, the presenters were in the vehicles. They were addressing the camera as the action unfolded in front of them. Big Cat Diary has been called the original wildlife soap opera because the presenters gave the cats names. They talked about their personalities to kind of draw the audience into a relationship with them and it really, really worked. And the, I got, I found a perfect example of this. And uh, here it is. The biggest surprise of this year's Big Cat Week is that our female leopard, Bella, is still hanging out with her two-and-a-half-year-old son, Chewy. It's time that he moved on. But with free meals still on offer from Mum, he's turning into a bit of a sponger. <laughs> Jeez, Chewy. Oh, there's Chewy. He's moving up along the top of the bank. He's Got just playing meat. video games and eating chips all day. He's definitely <laughs> eaten something in the night. You can see how full and stretched his belly is. Chewy. Yeah, he's full of beans, looking in great health. But Bella, she's looking rather skinny, actually, and I don't think she's had a meal in the night. <sighs> Chewy's turning into a bit of a bully. He's not letting her share any food with him. When she catches something and brings him to the kill, he tends to commandeer it and keep it all for himself. All right, it's time to kick that kid out. <laughs> Get. <laughs> See you at Thanksgiving. If there was a, if there was a <laughs> leopard version of Fortnite, he was playing it. <laughs> <laughs> we used to always ask our parents what they were going to get us for graduation, and they said packed suitcases on the porch <laughs> <laughs> oh boy uh, wow i know right <laughs> i love that show it was like i'm i i wish i had asmr and that that show was like unintentional asmr and i just i loved it to death in 2008 animal planet kind of took a different direction they put an emphasis on aggressive and predatory portrayals of animals as well as an increase in reality programming. The Discovery Network completely cut ties with the BBC in 2013 and if you want to hear us just kind of go off on that you can listen to the Squid episode again uh, but Animal Planet Discovery Channel a lot of those channels are just scripted reality sensationalist drivel awful. <sighs> could do yeah, a whole show on that. It's just not a place to find good documentaries about animals anymore. It really isn't. 
But there are a lot of other places, though. So yeah, there are a lot of other places. And Animal Planet does run a series called Big Cat Tales. You can find it on the Animal Planet Go channel. If you have a Roku device, you can. You, it's a free channel. You can go and you can watch like three episodes of Big Cat Tales on there. Uh, the first two seasons of Big Cat Diary are on Amazon Prime, and uh, yeah, that's it. Nice. I have a little bit of an odd pop culture thing today. Um, you know, I thought about talking about the Black Panther character, but uh, everybody knows about that. And <laughs> yeah. I was, as I was running around doing pop culture research for leopards, I ran across this awesome thing. And I don't, you probably aren't a person that reads a lot of books about fashion. I certainly don't. But I might <laughs> actually want to read this one. It's a book called uh, From the Stone Age to the Digital Age, which is about the leopard print in fashion. And it is by a fashion journalist called Hilary Alexander. And actually, it seems pretty darn fascinating. <laughs> it's a whole book. I'm assuming it's not a particularly long book. Most of these types of things aren't. But I'll, I'll just quote to you from an, an article that on hunger that I found about it. And it says... If fashion's had a love affair for the ages, it's been with leopard print. That is true. Powerful, seductive, rebellious, it's had its time with just about every subculture and season, breaking and making trends. From 60s style trendsetters to 90s fashion faux pas, it stood the test of time and still makes a statement that it made back when it was appropriated in the Napoleonic Wars, which is, I got the power. <laughs> in homage to the iconic print, fashion journalist Hilary Alexander and publishing house Lawrence King teamed up to celebrate all things Leopard, the book that I just talked about, From the Stone Age to the Digital Age. Age. The book declares that Leopard has become fashion's most perennial print. The definitive collection of the print, it features everyone who's donned it at some point from Donatella to Dolly, Liz Taylor to Lady Gaga. Fashion obsession with leopard print has never been better described than in the words of Donatella Versace, who wrote the foreword to the book Leopard. Why do we love leopard print? So we can feel closer to something that is breathtakingly beautiful, graceful, and precious, and just a little bit dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> so it's the book's called Leopard, and that, that whole thing from the Stone Age to the Digital Age, I think, is the subtitle. Um... And uh, it looks like it's really good. It looks like it's got a lot of really interesting, glossy fashion, fashion photos in it. Um, all the people from uh, Diana Vreeland, um, Ava Gardner, <laughs> Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, gosh, who else? Debbie Harry. Just crazy amounts of people wearing leopard print. And it's pretty funny. So I thought that was interesting. And I think I'm going to actually pick it up and read it. So Cool. Yeah. For real, right? That's... Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that, but leopard print is sort of, it is kind of, you find it in every decade of fashion, don't you? In, in it, one, it's, one way or the other. It's ubiquitous. And to the point where we were talking about this before the show, when I was, I ran across that when I was doing research, I ran across that book and I thought to myself, who, who has leopard print anything anymore? I don't know anybody who has leopard print things. And then I looked in my living room, and we have a little footstool, and it has leopard print on it. Right. And I didn't even realize it. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you go to Amazon and you put in, let me just 
leopard print. Just leopard print. Just plain leopard print. The first search I get on the top of the page is a handbag, some glasses, some pants, some shoes, a scarf, <laughs> a coffee cup, sandals, t-shirts, a dog collar, <laughs> a pet bed, a blanket, curtains, more blankets, a cell phone cover, sneakers. I mean, it's just, it's still on stuff. It's on everything. And it's funny because we don't think about it. I think we probably don't notice it. Anyway, pretty fascinating topic. It's true. We've, uh, I think it may be even more popular than like zebra print, which I know people like, but yeah, amazing. Would you eat it in a box? Would you eat it with a fox? Would you eat the fox? Would you eat it? No. Leopard is not in the food box. No. Okay. It's not in the fashion box. It's not in the food box. It's not in the anything box. So. Correct. Yes. Is your brain a repository of useless information? Well, let's help everyone win that next trivia night. Or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the Animal Fact of the Week. The leopard's coat does not belong on humans. We've already established that. You don't need real leopard skin for anything at all. But people still uh, hunt leopards for their coats and for their yep. fur. Yep, they do. Which stinks. It's not a good thing. And it's not if it's not considered fashionable, by the way. There's no runway that has this kind of stuff on it. Right. They are also hunted for their claws, whiskers, and tails because of traditional medicine, which doesn't work because it's traditional medicine. Ah. Well, there are traditional medicines that sometimes work, but they when they do, they're incorporated into regular medicine. <laughs> yeah, okay, there you go. <laughs> they're just called medicine. They're just called medicine. <laughs> like willow bark, willow bark tea. Oh, I'm natural. I take willow bark tea. We don't have to. You can just take an aspirin because that's that's what that compound is. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Mm -hmm. Other things that threaten leopards. They can be a nuisance to locals. Uh, if they are close to human settlements, they might prey on livestock. They might also attack people because leopards kind of prey on primates they prey on baboons lowland gorillas actually have one predator and they are leopards that's interesting because the yeah. documentary i was watching said that leopards are afraid of chimpanzees because chimpanzees will try to kill them yeah apparently lowland gorillas are in the food a whole box. other thing that's yeah. interesting an injured or starving leopard may attack humans especially the very elderly or the very young and that happens a lot more than you might think. I was actually going to do a whole segment about leopards attacking humans and the whole complicated relationship that leopards have with humans in other parts of the world, but that was way too much of a bummer. So I thought I'd talk about another bummer, but less of a bummer with this. And there's retaliation, of course. Local farmers, they want to they protect their livestock. They want to protect the people that live around them. So they, they might kill single leopards. They might even target an entire population of leopards. And it's a, it's a bummer. It is, but I was not able to get a good picture of how much science there is about urban wildlife and urban leopards and places where they're living. But the only, thing that, the only picture I got, uh, basically, in general, is that there's a lot of them. That leopards, leopards are really good at living right next to humans without them seeing them most of the time. 
Yeah. It's only very rare occasions that they actually end up attacking in person, even though it happens more frequently. I mean, it doesn't happen here because we don't have leopards, you know what I mean? So Yeah. Um, but uh, there's for everyone that attacks a person, there's many others that you never ever see because they're at night and they don't they try to stay away from humans and generally they're like like coyotes living in our cities, you know? Sure. So, um, but they also go after livestock, and people still have a lot of livestock in the areas where leopards are living. So, yeah. So, the other things that are threatening leopards are the things that are threatening a lot of animals, a lot of big cats. Uh, and it, that is habitat fragmentation. People are moving into where the leopards live and they're pushing them out. And that's not good. Yep. The leopards' range has reduced by 31% over the past 20 years. And the other problem is that people aren't eating leopards, but they are eating the things that leopards eat. And that's right. why you get leopards that start preying on livestock. And then when they start doing that, that gets them killed. Oh dear. Which really yep. stinks. If you want to donate to a charity, if you're able to donate to another charity, uh, bigcatrescue.org is a really, really great one. All the cats at Big Cat Rescue are there for a variety of reasons. They've either been abandoned, they've been mistreated by owners who wrongly thought they would make good pets, uh, or exhibits or roadside zoos. People who collect big cats because they are a status symbol or they're trying to breed them, uh, which that kind of thing has gotten some attention lately. Mm -hmm. uh, performing acts like circuses, they get rescued from that. They're saved from being slaughtered to make fur coats. They are rescued as babies after hunters killed their mothers. So Big Cat Rescue currently has three leopards right now. Their names are Armani, Jinx, and Nat. Yeah. So we'll put a link to BigCatRescue.org in the show notes on Podbean. Nice. Okay, well, I thought I would talk about um, Black Panthers, about Black Leopards, how that happens. So a black leopard is the same species as a normal colored leopard, um, but it has a high amount of melanistic coloration, causing the fur to be very darker black. Melanism occurs because of a recessive gene mutation of the leopard. The melanistic trait is a result of heredity, but it is not necessarily passed on directly from one generation to the next. A black leopard cub will be born with both parents carrying the melanistic gene. A fair-colored leopard can carry the recessive melanistic gene um, but and pass it on, right? But you have to have both parents have that gene in order to get the dark melanistic leopard. Right. Qu quite often a black leopard cub is born along with fair-colored cubs because not every time, even if your mate has it, <laughs> huh. even if you both have it, they may not be the one to express, right? That's how genes work, yeah. So the black cub grows into a black leopard and the fair cubs grow into light-colored leopards. And if both parents are black, the leop leopard cubs are always black, which is interesting. Black leopards are commonly seen in the dense and dimly lit tropical rainforests of South and Southeast Asia, where the dark coloration gives them better camouflage. There's just a lot more of the gene in the, in the animals in that area. Interesting. And uh, it's thought to be a favorable evolutionary mutation for leopards. So this is interesting. So we were talking about how panther can refer to any number of different species of big cat. 
And we haven't done our show about jaguars yet, but it's completely interesting because in jaguars, the melanistic trait is a dominant gene, not a recessive one. <laughs> oh, wow. So that's why you're more likely to see a dominant, or I mean a black melanistic jaguar than a leopard because it's uh, it's expressed more often. So That is so interesting. I thought we'd just briefly go over what uh, the difference between dominant and recessive genes are. And I'll try not to get too sciencey because it's it's pretty basic. So a dominant gene is a type of gene that dominates in the inheritance pattern and masks the other one. A recessive gene is that which does not show its trait in inheritance patterns and is hidden by the dominant one. The dominant gene is stronger while the recessive gene is a weak gene. Dominant genes are always expressed in uppercase letters like A, F, and V, where when you're writing all the science, the chemistry out, whereas recessive genes are always denoted by the lowercase letters. <laughs> so if you're looking at um, um, sciencey articles and they have genetic the names of genes, um, mm -hmm. you can tell which is dominant or which is recessive just by uppercase and lowercase uh, with the letters like A, F, and V and blah, blah, blah. So. You'd, you'd probably, if you know what I'm talking about, then you, you're nodding. If you don't, you probably won't ever have, need to worry about it. <laughs> I'm nodding anyway, for the record. It's just in the, it's just in the uh, article, so. Yeah. Yeah, but ultimately a dominant gene will determine the expression of a trait and a recessive gene are less likely to be expressed. So that's basically it. If you have two dominant genes, um, we'll talk about like, in humans, dark hair is dominant over red and blonde hair. There are more people with dark hair because those genes are stronger. Curly hair is dominant over straight hair. The ability in an individual to roll their tongue is a dominant over the inability to do that. Um, webbed fingers, that's a dominant trait. Development of six fingers instead of five is controlled by dominant genes. So the people that have the gene to do that are going to have it. They're going to pass it on. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Very. <laughs> it's just not a very. It's not a very common one, but it is dominant, which is crazy. Um, having a widow's peak or a V-shaped hairline—that's dominant over having a straight hairline. So that's why most people have a little slightly V-shape. Freckles, a cleft chin, dimples are all dominant traits. So pretty, pretty interesting. And then pretty recessive genes, like in people, having a straight hairline is recessive. Um, a cleft chin is a recessive trait. Old butt chin. Actually, they just said that cleft chin was a dominant trait, so I don't, it's the same article. I don't know why it's, maybe it's both. Maybe there's one kind that's dominant and one kind that's recessive. So, <laughs> I don't know. Um, attached earlobes, as opposed to free ones that are waggly and flapping the breeze, that's a recessive trait. Having blue eyes is recessive. I have blue eyes, so... I have a recessive trait. Um, pretty interesting. So you, both parents have to have it for it to get expressed. And that's why redheads are the rarest, because that's the recessive gene. So pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. And that in leopards is the reason for black leopards. They are two recessives get together. And I assume that if it's two black leopards and the babies are always black, that means that the recessive genes are kind of acting as dominant at that point, because... Because both of them have it, so. Sure. Yeah. But it would be possible for two black leopards to have a a, a standard colored 
And the article leopard. says no. It says nope. that it's always they're always black. Wow. If the, if the parents are both black, then the babies are always black. That's really interesting. And a black leopard still has spots. Mm-hmm. Yep. If 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 the light is shining on them just right, you can still see the spots. Yep. Yep. They're just cool. sections that are quite a bit more dense than the rest of the fur or maybe slightly darker or whatever. But you can see an example in that of that in your own kitty cat. There are many, many black kitty cats that are just uh, stealth tabbies. If you look at them in the sun, you'll see their fur. You'll see the tabby stripes in the if you look at them in the right light. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think mine are. I think mine are... Um, just all solid black everywhere but i guess i could shave them find out they you want me to they take off all your hair yeah yeah they I don't think... probably don't do that no, I don't think so. <laughs> cats like billy is like i will kill you in your sleep <laughs> <laughs> okay but that's but that's pretty cool that's very cool recessive in leopards dominant in jaguars yeah Interesting. plus a little bit of a, a little bonus gene education there for you today uh it's i'm sure it's way more complicated than that but uh, that's the most basic that's the most basic way to understand it so that's good hey basic is what we do we're basic we're pretty basic <laughs> hey everybody thank you so very very much for listening to our podcast today we are brought to you with technical support by matthew chomo Bed music is by Kevin McLeod. Our logo was created by the very talented Imran Javed. And our vocal talent was Carrie McGinnis, Stacey and Frosty, and Justine and Santiago. Excellent. It's the time for the Rugrat Corner. If you have a Rugrat who is eight years of age or younger and they want to be on our podcast, send us a message on the Facebooks or email us at varminspodcast at gmail.com for details. We make it very easy for you and your little Ruggers to hear their voice on the podcast. <laughs> Who's on this week? Today we have Bradley. Bradley has something to say about leopards. Go, Bradley. Go, Bradley. It's your birthday. Hey, buddy. What? I have a question for you. Okay. Tell me what you know about leopards. Oh, I know leopards are vast. Yeah? Uh-huh. And they have polka-dotted things. They have <laughs> polka-dotted things? They have black polka dots. And... And white and and yellow all around them. Yeah. What else do you know? So, that's it. That's all you know about <laughs> leopards? Yeah. Uh, are they big cats or small cats? Small. How? No. How small? Tell me. No, they're big cats. Oh, big cats. <laughs> they're big cats. They are? Yeah. Do they go meow or do they go roar? Roar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank, thank you, Bradley. Thank you, Bradley. That was cute. That other voice you heard was Vikram. Vikram is the host of the Planthropology podcast. He is a huge, huge supporter of this podcast. He's a good friend. He's such a nerd. I love him. Yeah, he's thank great. You. Nerd. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. And until next time. Nice to animals. This has been a transmission of the Podfix Network. For more about this show and other great Podfix programs, go to podfixnetwork.com.